Uh, we're starting a new series called The Whole Story, and this is a Back to the Basics series that is intended to help us better articulate God's plan of salvation to others as we live our missionally vital lives. And the Bible from start to finish is filled with many narratives that are all attached to one grand narrative. And we too are part of that story as some of what was written still even now needs to be fulfilled. And so over the next four weeks, we will trace the work of God from the beginning to the very end, from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And this morning we start with creation. Our scripture comes from Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 30. Can I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word? The scripture will be on the screen behind me. We're looking at creation in Genesis chapter 1, 26 to 30. Let's read together in one voice. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I will give every green plant for food. And it was so. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today, and I pray that from the very beginning, we would just understand that you are our creator, God. There's lots of ideas and myths. There's the Big Bang and all sorts of theories. We today profess that we believe that you are creator, God. You have created the world we live in. You have created us as individuals, as human beings, and we are fearfully and wonderfully made. That if we were to look around this room, there are hundreds of people who are fearfully and wonderfully made. They bear the image of their God. And we are all creative product of your creation work. So we thank you for that. We thank you that we get to enjoy your creation. We thank you that you are Lord over your creation. That even though it seems like at times our world is falling apart, you remain sovereign. Because creation was your idea. And so, God, we choose to believe in you, Father, today as we discuss creation. I pray that we would see ourselves somehow as part of the story. That though we were not there, there is a state of being that you actually desire us to live in. And we're not there yet, but we will come to it. Help us to enjoy the journey and to walk through the process and find ourselves in the grand narrative of Scripture. So we thank you for your presence today. Lord, I need your Holy Spirit to empower me for the act of preaching. Lord, help me to preach to your people in a way that they will understand and comprehend and apply. So God, we thank you for your presence and we ask for your blessing. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. You may be seated. 
The biblical canon, the Bible as we have it, is a compilation, which means that the whole is made up of many parts. It can be divided in many ways, first into two testaments. We have the Old Testament and the New Testament. It can be divided into 66 books from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Each book can then be further divided into chapters, as little as the ones we find in Obadiah, Philemon, 2nd and 3rd John, and Jude. Those are all one-chapter books. As many as 150, like in the book of Psalms. Each chapter then can be further divided into verses. As few as two verses, like in Psalm 117, or as many as 176 verses in Psalm 119. And every verse is to be read in the context of a chapter. Every chapter is to be read in the context of the book. And every book is to be read in the context of a testament. And each testament is to be read in the context of the whole Bible. We believe here at WPA in the full counsel of God's word. We don't ignore the Old Testament and just focus on the New Testament. We don't ignore the New Testament and just focus on the Old Testament. We believe in the whole counsel of God's word for informing our lives. What is the story? Or what is that grand narrative of scripture? Well, it all begins with an event that is called creation. This morning, I want to share three points about creation drawn from Genesis chapter 1 and 2 as a way to help us see God's original design for human flourishing. First point this morning is that we are created for reality. We're created for reality. We see this in Genesis chapter 1 in various places. Chapter 1, verse 7, verse 9, verse 11, verse 15, verse 24, and verse 30. And in all those scriptures, it says the very same thing. And God said... And it was so. And God said, and it was so. And God said, and it was so. We need to start this morning by saying that God created something out of nothing. That's amazing. You know, in Latin, it is creatio ex nihilo. I took some Latin courses, so I'm not so bad anymore. I got it. It means Something out of nothing. And in Genesis 1 verse 2, we are told, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. There was nothing there. He did not use pre-existing matter. Much like an artist with an empty canvas, God started to create his masterpiece work. But it was not with paintbrushes. What was it with? His words. He spoke things into being. We read the phrase, God said nine times. And we read the phrase, it was so six times in Genesis chapter 1. And he simply speaks and there it is, like poof, right before your eyes. It's the divine power of God that brought creation forth. And we are reminded from the first chapter of the Bible that God is omnipotent, which means that God is all-powerful. And this is what sets God apart from all other beings, all other things he's created, from all other potential gods. He is all powerful. And when contrasting the difference between God and idols, who are false gods, in Jeremiah 10, verses 11 to 12, it was God who said, and the prophet who wrote these words, tell them this, 
These gods who did not make the heavens and the earth will perish from the earth and under the heavens. But God made the earth by his what? Power. And he founded the world by what? His wisdom. And he stretched out the heavens how? By his understanding. This is our God. And his power is witnessed not only in his creative acts, but also in his sustaining acts. It's not the fact that he just made the world and just said, best of luck, hope you survive, hope you keep on spinning. No, it's the fact that he sustains everything with his hand. You know that if we are one degree off kilter, what will happen to us? If we are one degree too close to the sun, what will happen? We'll burn. And if we're one degree off and away from the sun, from where we are positioned, we will freeze. So everything has to be suspended in perfect balance. And that's our God. He sustains everything. It's amazing. The conditions have to be in perfect order to preserve life on this planet, to stabilize the universe. And so we have to come to the place where we learn how to credit God for the fact that you and I are able to actually inhabit this earth. It's not a mystery. It's not a myth. It's a living reality for us. That every time you and I walk outside, we have a living reality that we're living in the created order. The world we inhabit today is the same world of Genesis 1. You know, sometimes we read scripture and we seem to detach ourselves from the narratives and from the history that we read. Like that was so long ago. How do I relate to that? It's so far. I'm not Adam. I don't know Adam and Eve. No, but this is the same world. Nothing has changed. It is the same world. You know, only a real God can make a real world. We call this God's revelation. That when God created, he was revealing himself to the things he created. And the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1 verse 20, he explained, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, that is, his external power, uh, sorry, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made. That means that if we go outside and we behold God's creation, we can believe that there is a God. There's enough evidence there for us. His eternal power and his divine nature. In other words, creation bears the signature of its creator. And God created so that he could reveal himself to his creation. Later, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 11, verse 36, he succinctly summed up the purpose behind God's creating. And he said, for from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. And the church said, Amen. Amen. You know, we're created to live in a real world. Why? Because we're here to make a real difference. We're here to make a real difference. And I want to remind you today that when God made you, he made you on purpose. Now, we could have been born in the 9th century. We could have been born in the 12th century. Please, Lord, no. That's not the century I want to be living in. But here you are in the 21st century, and you're living here and now. And you were not an accident And you were not a mistake. You are here for such a time as this. Now, I'll be honest with you. I struggle with this because me and my sister are 10 years apart. She's 10 years older than I am. I'm the young one in the family. And my parents immigrated from India to Canada. 
And I had to ask my parents several times, guys, was I a mistake? And, you know, they tried to lovingly say, no, no, we planned you. I'm like, no, you didn't. Just tell the truth and shame the devil. Just tell the truth. And I said, well, you know, at the end of the day, it's not my fault. It wasn't my choice. I didn't come here on my own. And um, you two had to do something in order for me to get into this world. And God had to say, yeah, let there be life. And there it is. And I said, you know, you could have done it five, you know, could have had me five years earlier. Things would have been a little bit more connected, maybe. No, 10 years apart. But I'm not a mistake. Can you tell me that? Okay, thank you. (laughs) I feel good. (laughs) Sometimes my insecurities, you know, (laughs) I'm not a mistake. And neither are you a mistake. Right? None of us are a mistake. We're here on purpose for such a time as as this. Because God wants to reveal himself to you because you have a part to play in his unfolding story. Secondly, today, God has created us for rest. We see this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, all the way into chapter 2, verse 3, where it says, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. And by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. God rested after he completed all of his creative work. But it was not out of creation fatigue. No, it was out of great pleasure. He was able to take a step back. And see the great vast array and say, oh, wow, look at what I've done. This is amazing. This is beautiful. In Genesis 1, God, he would describe all the work that he did on the six days. He would say, it's good. It's really good. But then in Genesis chapter 2, God described the summary of all his work while at a state of rest. And he said this, it is very good. In Psalm 119, verse 68, the psalmist, he said of the Lord, you are good, and what you do is good. You remember that we had a generation service, and we had the thumbs up sign? We said, you are good, and what you do is good. So if he is good, and if what he does is good, then friends, he cannot be the source of evil. And this is a foundational truth for us to accept today, that God is not the source of evil. But we're reminded from the second chapter of the Bible that our God is a God of peace. And peace is a state of rest. For example, did you notice when we were looking at the text that Adam and Eve, they actually lived among wild animals? Like, this is scary stuff. No one else, no gates, no protection, no, you know, zap them, nothing like like that. Sorry if you love animals and that's cruel. You know, how is that even possible? How did they live together, cohabiting the garden? You know, in the Garden of Eden, humans and animals were not carnivores or omnivores. They were herbivores. Means they ate the greens and the fruit. And there was no fear. There was no dread between them. You know, according to Isaiah 11, 6 to 8, the messianic age, the age that is to come when Jesus rules and reigns, is prophesied to look like this. That the wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, 
and the calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. Wow. And the cow will feed with the bear and their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like an ox. And the infant will play near the cobra's den. No, thank you. And the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. I don't advise you doing that, but yes, it could happen there. And while the scripture is so future-oriented, yes, it has already happened in the past during the time of creation. That's how it was. That was the state of being. And humans and animals live together in perfect harmony. Now, there's times in my life where I recognize that animals are not my friends. I have a dog. You've seen Joey before, maybe. I brought him to church once for a sermon illustration about guilt. Because he's a guilty guy. And Joey is a 100-pound Springer Doodle, white, fluffy, cutest dog ever. And he, he, in many ways, is man's best friend. He loves Kylie. He doesn't love me. Such is the case in my house. And um, we all love Joey. He's so lovable. He's so endearing. But there's moments when I remember that he is not my friend. He's an animal. Because if he steals food from the counter, like a whole chicken... He will take it and run. And the moment you try to take it away from him, he'll look at you and grow. And then I realize there's some distance between us. We're not the same. I can't live, though we live in the same house, there's an animal inside of him. That will come out if it needs to come out. You know, in the garden, humans and animals live together in perfect harmony. There's not always perfect harmony in my home. Friends, rest is not a curse, it's a blessing. And sadly, we miss this today in our age of busyness, that we misinterpret rest as a loss of gain. Rest is not a vacation. Rest is not a holiday. Rest is not the weekend. It is not sleeping in or a day filled with fun. Rest is a holy communion between the created and the creator. And later in Mark chapter 2, verse 27, Jesus said this, that the Sabbath was made for man, not the man for the Sabbath. Which means don't get legalistic about following a day of the week. Don't get caught up in that. Rest is for me and you to connect. Turning back to the topic of the goodness of God, we must understand that God's rest is for our good. I want to encourage you to discover God's rest. To keep a day of the week, you know, biblically we call it the Sabbath, but just to keep a day of the week, to connect with God, to enjoy Him, to enjoy His creation, to develop a healthy rhythm of rest in your life, to use it as a day of reflection by which you will give thanks to God for His goodness and you'll go out into creation and you'll see His wonderful creation and say, man, what a wonderful God you are indescribable, uncontainable. You set the stars in the sky and you know them by name. Man, you're an amazing God. That's what creation should do for us. Thirdly, today, created for a relationship. We see this in Genesis 2.18 and then into verses 21 to 24. Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Moving to verse 21, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. 
So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out from the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, That's on the house. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Humanity was created for a relationship with God. And in verse 18, we catch a glimpse of God's great concern for Adam because there are two people in relationship. It is out of this relationship that God identified the need in his life and was committed to finding a permanent solution. And despite Adam's relationship with God, he was still considered alone. You know, the Lord was explicit when he identified loneliness as not a good thing. Now, some might take this verse and twist it and, and, and misinterpret it and say that singleness is not good. That's not what the Bible says. Okay? That's somebody using the Bible incorrectly. We are talking about the big picture story. God's real concern was that Adam was the only human being in all of creation. And there were two solutions that he gave to this problem. The first is, in a general sense, that humans were created for a relationship with humans. You will notice that among the animals, no suitable helper was found. All of them had strengths and weaknesses, but none of them could help Adam in the way he needed help. And the reason we need one another is because we actually can help each other. We learn about the benefit of two instead of one in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 to 12, where it says, Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labor. Now catch this. If either of them falls down, one can what? Help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? The one may be overpowered Two can defend themselves. So as you can see, there are many benefits to relationship, human relationships, good return, help, warmth, defense, all these good things. And every one of us need that. We need these kind of relationships in our lives. But then from moving from a general sense to a specific sense, man was created for relationship with a woman. Woman was created for relationship with a man. And this is worth stressing today because we live in a world that says otherwise. And part of this was the complementary nature of males and females, since the woman was considered the suitable helper for the man. Here's the thing I love about that scripture it means that men need help. <laughs> All the women said amen, right? Man, I am helpless. Where's my keys? Ah, Kylie, do you know where my keys are? They're right here. I need help. You need help. But no, we need help. We complement one another. But part of this was for the purpose of procreation, of course, since Adam and Eve were the first man and the first woman. But what is interesting is that the second human being that was ever created was cr- created using a different method. 
You know, God didn't speak her into being. What did God do? He used his hands. He did some surgery. Poor Adam didn't know what was happening. Instead of the dust from the ground, God took rib from the first human to make the second human. And I think the reason is because they're of the same nature. She was flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone. And if God went through the original first step with Adam, God was going to make them the same human twice. But to do so would be to form another Adam, but that's not the goal. Adam is is what Eve is not, and Eve is what Adam is not. She is like Adam, but she is, of course, unlike Adam all at the same time. And the reason is this goes beyond anatomy, and this goes into the spirituality. That together, the two would become one flesh, which was good in God's eyes. You know what the hardest part about marriage is? Two people giving up their individuality and coming into a oneness, one flesh relationship. I've seen people married for years and years and years, and they've still never got to that one flesh. They say, you know, Chris is, this is Chris's idea, and this is Kylie, my wife's idea, but we never talk about Chris and Kylie because we're one flesh. We have to get there. That's just a little marriage tip. Get to one flesh discussion. Talk about us, we. Don't talk about me and I. We're one flesh. So listen, if you're single here today, this message is still for you. You can stay single or not. And yet you can still have meaningful relationships with human beings. And if you're married, you will have to work hard to have meaningful relationship, not only with your spouse, but also with others outside of your marriage. But whatever your relationship status may be, the biblical order of relationships is this. God first, family second, friends third. My prayer is that this church would be one of the key places where you build relationships. I pray that this place would be a place. There's no better place if you're single than to find a person at church. At least you know one thing, they love Jesus. Now, there's a lot of other things to check. Some of you know from real life experience. <laughs> no I'm kidding. But it's a good indicator that you're choosing in the right direction. So church can be a place for that. But church is also a place where we build meaningful relationships. And that's why I'm inviting you to come next week. How many services are we having next week? And what time is it at? Okay, good. Comprehension check. Messages are being understood. Yeah, that's why we want you to come to our Koinonia service because Koinonia means fellowship. And we're a big church of a lot of people. And unless we get intentional about getting to know each other and meeting each other and learning each other's names, learning each other's stories, we will always remain a fragmented church. So I need you to participate. Don't just walk around and be like, nice corn. Mm." I need you to say, hey, what's your name? Oh, my name is so-and-so. Nice to meet you. That's Koinonia. It's biblical. Really good. Make lots of friends. As we conclude this morning and Carrie and the team return to the platform, I want to conclude with one final passage of scripture. I think it's actually quite an amazing portion of scripture. It comes from Solomon. And as you might know, Solomon uh, was asked of the Lord, what would you like, basically? And Solomon said, just give me wisdom. That's all I need. And the Lord gave him 
the most amount of wisdom any person has ever had in their lives. He is the wisest person that has ever lived on planet Earth, okay? That's Solomon. And so under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, here is Solomon, and he spoke about a woman named Lady Wisdom. Now, Lady Wisdom is God and his wisdom personified as a person. So it's his wisdom, actually, it's just God's wisdom, but it's personified, it takes the form of a woman who walks and speaks and does things. And she gave witness to the creation event in Proverbs 8.22 to 31. The scripture says, the Lord brought me forth as the first of his works before his deeds of old. I was formed long ages ago at the very beginning when the world came to be. And when there was no watery depth, I was given birth. When there were no springs overflowing with water, before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I was given birth. Before he made the world or its fields or any of the dust of the earth, I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon. On the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep. And when he gave the sea its boundary so the waters would not overstep his command. And when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I, Lady Wisdom, was constantly at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence and rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in humankind. See, here's the problem. When we think of creation, we always say, you and I were not there. So it's really difficult for us to know. We were not there when the world was formed, but God in his wisdom bore witness to the majesty and splendor of his creation. And she, Lady Wisdom, recognized that this was God's idea of perfection. So as we consider the beginning of what will become the whole story, it is wise for us to learn why we were made from Lady Wisdom. Take wisdom from the scriptures. She's giving it to us freely. Because she tells us why we were made. We were made to rejoice in his presence. We were made to rejoice in the whole world. We were made to delight in humankind. That's why we were made. To rejoice in his presence, to rejoice in his whole world, to delight in humankind. See, the garden was the perfect place for us in his story. And somehow, in some way, we need to come back to that state again. And you say, well, pastor, how is that possible? It's not time traveling. We can't go back in time and find that moment in history when all those things were made. We won't be there. It's impossible. Here's the thing. We can move forward. And we're coming full circle soon. That one day God will set all things right again. And perfection will be established. And his rule and reign will be inaugurated in full. You know, friends, it's not enough to know part of the story. We need the whole story. The whole story gives us the whole picture of what God is doing. So we're going to have to wait for the next couple of weeks. We're going to have to travel from creation to the fall and from the fall to redemption, from the redemption to the restoration. And we'll do that together over the next few weeks. But here's the thing. 
You have a part to play in his story. And the perfect view of that is in Eden, yes. But we're coming to another perfect moment in the future when he'll make all things right again. So where do you fit into God's grand narrative plan, his plan of salvation? We will see.